0: Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse.
1: Today on tap we have A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors starring Heather Langenkamp, Patricia Arquette, Larry Fishburne, Craig Wasson, and Robert England. Screenplay by Wes Craven, Bruce Wagner, Frank Darabont, and Chuck Russell. There's some names in there. Yeah. And directed by Chuck Russell. Also today, we're going to be discussing Halloween 3's Season of the Witch, starring Tom Atkins, Stacy Nelkin, and Dan O'Harely, written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Matt, this is a first for us. We're closing out the spooky season our slasher film threes company looking at all the threes and the big three franchises. Uh, and we're doing a double feature today in the vein of Joe Bob Briggs and Elvira. I feel like we should be sitting in lawn chairs or yeah. something and be queuing in some guests here and there and have, go go to a mailbag, come in and commentate over the movies. We're gonna do our own double feature show today, so very different compared to how how we've done it before in the past we do a flight and a nightcap to kind of ease into it but being that these will probably be a little bit longer discussions we're just gonna dive right in yeah so today we're having some backbeat bourbon this is a Seattle bourbon whiskey uh, this is a new bottle that uh, that I discovered and um let's kind of give that one a go what's surprising about this one I think it's about 20 to 25 dollars wow so let's kind of kind of see what we got there cheers cheers It's a mash bill, 75% corn, 21% rye, and 4% barley. Vanilla? Vanilla, yeah. I I get a little bit of leather in there, too. And then smell-wise, this one reminded me of barbecue. Yeah. And then there was another one that I had recently. I was just like, oh, man, that would pair well with like a barbecue sauce or something Mm -hmm. like that. But, Matt, I'm so excited to to do this. Let's dive right in. Film one, first up, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. Does that take you back? <laughs> Mr. Don Dawkins. Yeah. Yeah. They got two two they got two songs uh, featured in, in, in this film. And was that kind of an MTV music video staple? I know them playing in some boiler room and like Freddie kind of showing. Oh up. yeah. But yeah, I think everyone always remembers the Dawkins uh theme song that that is uh played played in this one. But let's start right at the beginning. Let's talk about crazy credits here just to start us out. Heather Langenkamp's coming back. So returning as Nancy Thompson from film one, coming back to kind of not be such a good actress yet again. Mm, (laughs) She's interesting. She's interesting to, to kind of uh, tackle Uh, Larry Fishburne, not Lawrence Fishburne, Larry Fishburne, Mm. Lawrence
0: is easier to get gigs with. It sounds more Royal.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So here he is playing Max, the orderly, uh, kind of forget he's in this thing and mm-hmm. his character is pretty forgettable too. I mean, you yeah. kind of figure he'd play a little bit more into the plot towards the end and he kind of just disappears. Yeah. Patricia Arquette first film role for her. You know, we discussed her, uh, when we did, did true romance mm-hmm. and, you know, this is Academy award winning actress here from boyhood. Uh, kind of cool to see her in here in this and, In the next entry, her part gets recast. I I don't know if she was doing something else, but uh, Kristen Parker's role is played by a different actress in the subsequent entry. Mm -hmm. Craig Wasson. Our friend Craig Wasson, who's unafraid to go do full frontal nudity. We talked about him last uh, year in Ghost Story. Um, A goofy-looking guy and we got to complete the Craig Wasson trifecta here eventually and do body double one of these days.
0: Should sure talked about it. I think that's certainly on the agenda. Yeah. Craig Wasson in Full Frontal. Uh
1: let's see here. We got Dick Cavett, we got JaJa Gabor. Uh but let's talk about that screenplay. John Saxon. Yo, John Saxon. Yeah, coming back. Uh hard drinking. John Saxon. Yeah. Uh I'd love to know what happened in between parts 1 and 3 and what are their relationship went Robert England coming back, of course. But let's talk about that screenplay. We got Craven coming back. He completely ignored part two and didn't want to get into the franchise cash grab of it all. He um, did a story treatment that was actually kind of a lot darker and it was going to kind of go back into, you know, the roots of the crime and, you know, things like that. And a lot of uh, some of what he did ended up here. But um, the real architects of this thing are Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont, who kind of came in and did the second pass through Polish and Chuck Russell directed. And he also did the Blob film that came out around this time the with Kevin Dillon. Mm. Uh, and I think Darabound had a, a hand in that screenplay as well. So he's been around horror quite a bit, uh, Mr. Darabound. You shocked to kind of see his name there at all? Uh, yeah, but it speaks to, I
0: think, the structure of this also because... Of the three nightmares, this one has the most talent on hand, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. From acting to production, writing, all of it, it's it's all right there.
1: Young, but it's there. So we start out, yeah, uh, with, you know, Kristen Parker is, you know, just, you know, trying to do what she can in the, you know, the gamut of Nightmare on Elm Street films, trying to stay awake. So that's Blast the docking, I guess, Warrant, and and. Firehouse were were busy that day, <laughs> and uh, drinking you know Folgers coffee just straight uh, the, the the grounds eating them yeah, yeah gross and uh, then we have uh she's making a paper mache uh popsicle stick house of the original house from the first film I have a question for you later on about this house and kind of what it all means. Her mom's too busy entertaining guests, and we're gonna come back. To, I have a sound, a good sound clip uh, a little bit later. But her date's just—he may as well be here in the room with us. He's like, "Hey, where do you keep the bourbon? Mm-hmm. Hey, it's right here on the on the desk with us." Exactly. Uh, but then she goes to Dreamland, and I think maybe this entry, compared to all the rest, even the first one, I think nails the nightmare dreamscape better than any of the other other films. The slow motion jump rope this little girl on her trike going through the house that turns into the boiler room. And that one shot of, of Freddie when like, he's like at the end of the hallway, it's like blue backlit and he just is running towards her as she's kind of stuck in place. What do you kind of think of this, this opening to reestablish a more scary Freddie compared to his dream takeover of Jesse in part two? Yeah. Uh, are we turning back to form here with Mr. Kruger?
0: Yeah. With a little bit more action, I think faster. Mm-hmm. Um. yeah, number two, we talked about that. And th- although there are some moments, the pool sequence is pretty crazy. Uh, this this house, I think, sets up the tone that they're going to play with the rest of the film. And that's why Freddie is who Freddie is. But the chase is better. Um, it just feels more action derived. And I guess that would fit for the time the movie came out because we're in the middle of action. So, um, And then the dream warrior element too is going to lead to an opposition like a physical opposition mm-hmm. to Freddie so you know I, I really like the opening uh the doll or the girl that she's carrying it, it is a doll she's so yeah. st- <laughs>
1: it's a little bit
0: on the nose but yeah it's it's good
1: but yeah that intro here this is where it takes us come on we are going ah! Ah! Yeah, kind of a cool little chase through that. And then when she wakes, she realizes, oh, God, a a nightmare of this guy I've been having these dreams of. So she goes to the bathroom and Freddie turns into the faucet and forms claws and swipes at her. And it's just enough that when her mom comes in, it's her with like a razor blade and it looks like a suicide attempt. So something's wrong with Kristen. she's not alone so we cut to Weston Hills Psychiatric Hospital that hospital is going to show up again in Freddy versus Jason Um, there's some more Elm Street kids uh, staying there and this is where we kind of get to meet the rest of the cast you know uh, Max Larry Fishburne and uh, Gordon Craig Wasson and he's kind of like this is these are like his subjects like he's like kind of like overseeing them their treatment and He's a psychiatrist, right, or like a psychologist. And, you know, everyone doesn't want to sleep. Everyone's, you know, they're taking shifts. They're kind of watching out for each other. Kincaid's in the quiet room. Um, They're really troubled by something similar, but they just haven't said it yet. Mm -hmm. And then the person that brings that all together is uh, Nancy Thompson. So Mm -hmm. what do you think of, you know, this group of characters? You already prefaced it a little bit. The Dream Warriors, this team element. Obviously some of them are going to be some fodder for us to kind of get through, but how does this kind of differ compared to what we've seen before? And it's mostly just been Nancy or Jesse uh <laughs> uh just being terrorized. Here we got a group setting.
0: When Freddie does you in, it's usually by yourself in the dream. So I think if you're part of a group, then you're not quite as isolated. And that prevents some of the onset of terrible, terrible odds versus because even though Freddie can be in different places at mostly the same time, if there are three of you or four of you that can be in the dream, it's it's just a more formidable force. Um, And that's one of the things that Freddie, I think, really capitalizes on with his prey is because you're asleep and, you know, mostly don't communicate when we sleep. You are pretty much at his disposal with no way out. If at least you have a team, and like you said, we're going to get to the Kristen and and the Heather Langenkamp role on how to create that team, then
1: your your odds are just better. Mm-hmm. Like it's your odds are just better. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So you know, Nancy's trying to do some more just research on you know what's going on with Kristen, what's going on with these kids, Gordon very nosy of Gordon when she dumps her Percy he, like picks up her prescription and like stares at it for an uncomfortable amount of time like mm-hmm. hey bro that's mine Hypnosil. Mm-hmm. Hypnosil's is supposed to be the the dream uh the fi- the fictitious dream suppressant drug in this universe mm-hmm. and it's gonna show up again in a few a few of these other films but her kind of research she still got the gray streak in her hair I think that's a nice tie back to the the first film. But, you know, Kristen has another one of these nightmares. She's back in the house. So here's where I want to ask you. Is it a bit of a miss of this film or one of the prior films? Or I want to know more about what's so important about this house that Nancy lived in with the red door. I think it was blue in that first one. The one Jesse lived in and everything went chaotic. Obviously, Nancy's mom kept the glove uh, when they did the crime. She kept it in the basement. What do you think is important about this house and is not being discussed? Uh, Or what's your best kind of get, Or what would you like to see? What's your best pitch? Because it's not the
0: house, it's the street. So the house could be on the street and the children of... Elm Street. But
1: and I don't know. And I th- Theoretically, it's more the parents of Elm Street yeah. versus, yeah, kind of that. So uh, maybe the
0: glove, his glove was kept at that house. But I, I don't have a good answer for you on that
1: one. What I would kind of like to see is if maybe that house was occupied by Kruger at some point in the future. And I'm drawing a blank on when this series kind of gets very exhausted, you know, parts five and six. If they do go there with Kruger did, in fact, live in this house. Because there's got to be some sort of tie to that. I mean, we talked a lot about that with Halloween Kills and Michael being Mm -hmm. drawn towards his house and kind of what that is. Speaking of which, I read an interesting theory about that uh, just yesterday Mm. that it was like, what if the theory of Michael trying to get home? What if he's just because he's very much in a six-year-old brain or whatever. He's just trying to, like, find his parents and he keeps going back to the house and they've moved away. They've moved on. So Separation anxiety. A little bit, yeah. Mm. So... I guess that's another theory, whether that's going to get explored. We have no idea, but I forgot how much the house played into dream warriors here. Not only with the model, the first couple nightmares of Kristen's take place here. Uh, so I'm just, uh, I'm, I want to know more about the importance of it. And I don't think the film gives us a very, a very good answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we get our first kind of just kind of seeing them stretch the budget a little bit compared to the first one when, you know, Freddy's outstretched arms looked mostly ridiculous. Here, we get like a Freddy worm, a Freddy snake worm. Yeah. A Freddy anaconda. Yeah. And he's all pussy and green and gross.
0: Oh, my God.
1: I like that. I, I just It's almost borderline cheesy when he just kind of, he looks at Nancy and he just kind of realized the past that they've had. and He just goes, you <laughs> just, and now we're out of it. But we do learn another thing is that Kristen Parker's dream ability, dream power is to pull people into her nightmares. Only her dreams though, right? Right. I don't think she can travel to them. I think mm-hmm. they've got to come to her. They got to come to her. So. It's kind of interesting, and this is where the series starts to diverge a little bit more into the fantastical. And I'm willing to go that way, too. I mean, dreams and nightmares are already, you know, imagination and, you know, thought-provoking to their own, own regard. But them willing to go there, and I'm like, I can pull you into my dream. And then when we get into everyone else's dream warrior power and how ridiculous some of them might be. I think we're setting the stage here for kind of a cool, a cool, you know, setup compared to we're not doing the same thing with Jesse and trying to come into the real world and possess your body. That's a possession movie, essentially. Um, we don't have to learn the rules of it all because the first film did that to us. We're really allowed to just hit the ground running and just kind of get on with it. Uh, but let's get to let's get to let's get to the kills. Uh, the first one that we we get here, and it's about thirty minutes into the film, kind of kind of late compared to what's the rule, Matt? Every seven pages, yeah, every seven or eight pages, you gotta have a scare or yeah. or a kill sequence. Yeah. Um, the first one is, let's see if I can do this. Uh, Philip, uh, who's we've established, he's his kind of uh, go-to hobby is to make puppets and little marionette dolls. And for something that could come across as totally cheesy, one of his puppets becomes like a little Freddy, looks like Puppet Master or something, mm-hmm. and kind of leers over to him and uh, becomes large Freddy. This is when I think of one of my favorite moments of the film, where uh, and his tendons, his stringy, yeah. you know, viscerage become the puppet strings. And so when Kincaid wakes up, you know, he just sees him walking there and it looks like nothing. He just thinks he's sleepwalking because he's the notorious sleepwalker. But when they cut back to it and his like foot's all Mm. filleted and his hands and he's just kind of walking like I've never been able to forget that image. And I think I mentioned this maybe when we did part one or part two, but they re-released Nightmare on Elm Street in the theaters back when I was in high school and it was like 20th anniversary some anniversary. So they played the first film. And then after the credits, they did a montage of all of Freddy's kills and all the rest of the films, which I hadn't seen any of the sequels up to that time. Uh, So when it got to dream warriors and they got to this, I was like, that's like, you could tell how much different it was compared to the other ones that the effects budget was a little bit more creative with this one. What do you think of that? Like just the imagery of like him up top and he's kind of dangling him from the thing and he just kind of swipes like, I know it's fantastical, but where's this kind of registering for you compared to what we've seen in the last two films?
0: If he attacks you in your dream, then there is still a physical toll of that in reality. And so I think the sleepwalker, okay, good cover there. Um, And the way his hands and feet are moving, even to Kincaid, who wakes up for just about five seconds Would fit with someone who was just maybe in a state of sleepwalkedness. But I love it. And the fact that he's the puppet master controlling them Mm -hmm. is is, is just great. And then to the ledge, that's one of the things that this film really does do is it gets you right up to the kill and then teases it out a little bit. Sure, yeah.
1: So he's on the ledge for a while. They're all yelling at him, Philip, Philip. Yeah. Because it just looks like he's going to jump. They don't know... I think they suspect the Freddie influence of what's happening because they're they, it's all unsaid between the kids. Uh, and then, yeah, when he goes and then they have to have now a uh, uh, counseling session about what happened and Craig Wasson doesn't hold back. He's like, Philip, <laughs> he betrayed us or he was like, he let us down and he took the easy way out. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> Kind of guilting him, yeah, guilting them a little bit, and yeah. I was like, I was like, that's kind of a bad move from a, a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially with these traumatized kids. Mm-hmm. But the next one we get, I think, is quite possibly you know the divergent path of where Nightmare on Elm Street's gonna go, and it's uh, okay, let me see if I can do this. Jennifer, uh, Jennifer's the one when she gets out of the loony bin, she's gonna go to Los Angeles and she's gonna try and make her mark in television and be an actress. And her thing that she does is she hits the cigarette butts on her arm keep to her keep her awake. Ouch. But then we get this little gym.
0: This is it, Jennifer. Your big break in TV. I'll fuck the front time, bitch.
1: again, dipping our toes into the super fantastical, but that line is the only time Robert England ever improvised a line of dialogue from Freddie, not before or since. And I think that's just evocative of where they decided to take the franchise going, going forward here. I think it's great. I think, you know, that the arms his head with the antennas is just so stupid, yeah. but it works. Uh, and then you know, welcome to prime time and then just shoves into the thing. You know, you're dealing with a little bit of a different Freddie, uh, Go ahead. Quippy, Mm one-liner.
0: And it works. They're having a little bit more fun with the character um, insofar as I'm not really sure what the hell they were trying to do in number two. (laughs) But number one, just this kind of quiet, Mm -hmm. terrifying agent. This is a much more vocal Freddy. And he has quite a bit of dialogue
1: in it. I think he's still a little scary in this yeah. one, too. Um, I think, you know, this is where everyone thinks part three is where he goes into full joke territory. It's not until the next one's where everything becomes... One-liner. Bon appétit, bitch, or like, yeah. press this, bitch. In the next one, we get that cockroach kill, which is a whole, a whole bunch of great effects show. But I think this is the turning point. This scene here is like... We're going to take that moment and kind of mold our Freddy into into that territory and get a little bit away from the scary version.
0: Don't you love how the orderlies come in and see her in the TV and they don't suspect any foul play?
1: Yeah, they instantly think it's suicide again. How the hell
0: would you suicide yourself on a four-foot jump up into the television I with your head? I
1: know, it's, they didn't even like think to consider any other possibilities. Yeah, no. Right. In between all of this... Is this the least believable part of the movie, which yeah. is Craig Wasson and and uh, Nancy's like relation, like pseudo love affair? Yes. Whether it's over Thai food or you know at her apartment where they're you know kind of going over to like dream stuff and and this and that, like I just don't buy it. And it it might be him, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> It, it might, yeah.
0: Craig Wasson's a tough, tough sell. I agree with you. And
1: that was Ghost Story, and it's also body double, especially with, you know, the Melanie Griffith piece that he's ob- obsessed with. I don't know how that guy, like, they, he constantly got cast as, like, this guy that, like... Lothario. Women have to obsess yeah. over. <laughs> right, it doesn't play. It didn't play in
0: Ghost Story, and we talked about some of the love sequences in that and how bad he was. Um, Heather Langenkamp and Craig Wasson... Mm, no chemistry
1: (laughs) no chance for craig wasson either uh okay so where is it i think it's yeah jennifer's death and you know now we're kind of getting visages of what's going on here and nancy's told them repeatedly you're the last of the elm street kids which whatever that means their kids were super young when freddie committed the crimes This is why I need... And I know we're not doing Flight and Nightcap this week. uh, But when we did with Friday, like, where do you want to see this story go from here? I'll tell you where I want to see it go. And it's never gone there before other than in, like, a scene here or there. I want the Kruger, like, origin tale. Mm -hmm. And I want a definitive answer on, did he kill kids? Did he not kill the kids? Was he wrongfully Mm -hmm. accused? Did they kill an innocent man? The remake tries to go into that he, like, was molesting the kids, too. And, like, that was kind of like, let's not even go there. Yeah, But... I really want the origin till on what the parents did and like kind of how he's able to come back did he make some sort of deal with like some sort of voodoo demon or something it's that's the gray area of this franchise that never quite clicks for me is is him and his ability to be around other than it's the it's the Parents of Elm Street that did a horrible deed and now the kids are, are paying for it. I need a little bit more in, in that in that space here. Yeah, I hear you. That's but, fair. But we do get a, a little bit more. I hope I hit the right button here when I play this. Uh, <laughs> I think it's this next one.
0: This whole facility was shut down in the 40s, wasn't it? Some sort of scandal? The young girl on the staff was accidentally locked
1: in here over the holidays.
0: Inmates kept her hidden for days. She was raped hundreds of times. When they found her, she was barely alive. And with child. That girl was Amanda Krueger. Her child Freddie. The bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Some say he was murdered. No body was ever found.
1: Okay, we're expanding the mythos a bit. So now we know. And I think they do decide to do something with Kruger's father in the last Freddy's Dead, the the last nightmare or the final, the final nightmare. And you, you want to talk about shit. Oh, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bad movie. But I think Alice Cooper plays his father in that mm-hmm. film, if I'm not mistaken. This is exceptionally troubling and, you know, leads more into the otherworldly nature of Kruger. Here you had his mom who was like a nun nurse orderly, raped a hundred plus times by these psychopaths here, and they found her. She's barely alive but with child. So now he's already born of bad seed and doesn't have a father figure, I would imagine, from that particular outcome. But we even learned that his conception was, troubled to say the least
0: <laughs> the bastard son of a hundred maniacs uh okay i'm curious about you on this because this is sort of similar to talking heads um with the backstory the band no 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 oh. like like t- the di- the dinner table sequence not the band and she was
1: burning down the house right yeah
0: exactly <laughs> um is it because it's told by the nun and she's so ethereal and a bit mystical uh, does that help pay off just the exposition
1: just standing, or what just standing around here yeah i think so because i've always been like the, even the first time i saw this i was like that nun's shifty you know what i mean because mm-hmm. she keeps showing up in the cemetery off to the side so you kind of know something's up with her and yep. that i kind of feel like she was very ghostly apparition mm-hmm. through the through the whole film i think it's a cool location because they're in where it actually took place too and isn't it weird? Are we calling Craig Wasson the main character, the lead character of this film? Like, he's the patriarch of Weston Hills for these kids. He has this relationship with Langkamp, which we established doesn't go or do anything for us on any type of meter. But then later in the film, he becomes the guy that's going to, like, go find the bones and go put him to rest. Like, And here he's being fed the most important information that I think anyone's gotten thus far on On Mr. Kruger. Yeah. Bizarre. (laughs) Very bizarre. It's You know what I do like about it, though? I like
0: he's the only one that can see the nun.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm not sure why she chooses him, because
1: you would think maybe Heather. But it's a good question. That's why I don't think that she's the lead in this this thing. Yeah. She's like a supporting character. That's strange. A little quick uh, side anecdote. The priest overseeing the funeral is the same priest from part one that... I think we mentioned this, how he gives Rod's eulogy of, he who lives by the sword shall die by the sword. Yeah. Well, priest, made me feel real good at this funeral. Man. <laughs> it's not the one that does the eulogies at Heather's on the,
0: on the Heather set, is it? That's
1: No. <laughs> That's the guy from Beetlejuice. I know, yeah. <laughs> Those are some legendary eulogies, by the way. Indeed. Why'd you have to kill such a smoking babe? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so here's where we kind of learn. We need to... Be reactive, proactive. We need to do something about Mr. Kruger. So we're going to have another hypno dream therapy sequence. And this is where we're going to learn a little bit more about our dream warriors. And once they're in the dream, I think there is a sense of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I want to say self-doubt. No, it's uh, suspension of disbelief of okay. what they're able to do. And it's a bit of a reflection on who they are outs- outside of that.
0: In my dreams, I can walk. My legs are strong.
1: Hang on a second. Did he get paralyzed because he tried to kill himself?
0: Yeah, he jumped off of something and smashed and, bo- himself and up. botched it. Because <laughs> that's in that group therapy session that they're all having, where they're going to with Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, not really, but might as well be Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, talk through the issues they're having their dreams over like some therapy session mm-hmm. is going to work um, and I think Kincaid's the one that puts him on blast about it
1: that he yeah he, he, you he put yourself in that chair yeah so uh, su- a botched suicide attempt yeah you got to go up another floor uh, <laughs> or you got to like our I was worried about our uh, mental patient and Halloween kills I was like it's a good thing he picked a high enough floor when he decided to do his swan dive yeah. goodness okay let's get back to it
0: in my dreams I my legs are strong. In my dreams, I am the wizard master. Lame. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> I can make these little balls fly around. Try something, Kristen. What can you do in your dream? score, the crowd goes wild. I can do flips. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking A-Dig this. Kincaid, please. That's really
1: unnerving. Hey, check out Terror. In my dreams, I'm beautiful. (gasps) And bad. So when you really break it all down, their dream warrior powers are pretty lame. (laughs) One of them has something that's usable. Kincaid? Cape Strength. The right? muscle, yeah. It's so true. Uh one's an acrobat. And then later Joey finds his he's the mute and his dream warrior is he can yell really loud. So if this is a superhero team, okay, and we were assembling them together with these superhero powers. Yeah. And we've been pretty hard on a few superhero teams <laughs> on this oh, show. We sure have, yeah. This might be the worst team ever assembled. Worst team. So but here's where I think it lends to the uniqueness of the film itself is Dream Powers, super lame. Uh And most of them bite the bullet. Uh, But what it does lend itself to is some pretty unique, I think, sequences and Mm -hmm. some some settings where these battles take place. Uh, This is the moment I've always never been able to forget. So Joey has like a hankering for one of the nurses. And then in this dream, sneaks him away, kind of gives him like, hey, come with me. And so they get into a room and then she just like, takes her top off and just like mounts Joey and they start kissing and then, and then like tongue ties him to the thing. Like I've always remembered that sequence mainly because, you know, this girl, like she takes her top off. And so you're thinking you're getting a little bit of a sexy scene here. Yeah. And then yeah. you should know better with the the Elm Street films that, you know, it becomes Freddie and he's like in a bed laying over hell. Mm-hmm. And when he comes back later and carves in his, stomach come come and get him bitch (laughs) uh you kind of kind of see the you know the ramifications of that i always kind of wondered if that message too was permanently scarred in joey's body after the fact Mm -hmm. uh but you know so now we gotta kind of bridge two gaps here so no one gordon is fired because when nurse ratchet comes in everyone's all passed out uh like, they're in some sort of drug den, like, all all like, all like tripping or something. And yeah. she's like, you're fired. Nancy, you're out of here. I'm locking the kids up in solitary. No hypno-sill. They're going to get a good night's sleep tonight, and they all know that's the, the 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 death curse. Curtains, yes. To get some more answers on what's going on here, we need to go to the source, one of the perpetrators of the Elm Street crime. So enter John Saxon, RIP, uh, who comes in hard-drinking, we're going to talk about another hard-drinking guy in the next film. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but here he is just pounding back Schlitz and you know, Goldschlager shots probably. Uh, and good to see you too, Nancy. Like, what happened to these guys after after Freddie mounted Mom in the bed in part one and she, like, melted into the bed? You remember, mm-hmm. remember that? Yeah. And Freddie disappears something happens to this relationship where that wasn't enough to bring them to this already separated family to bring that relationship together, pushes them farther apart. But it essentially becomes the Craig Wasson, John Saxon show of, listen, you're going to sober up. You're going to tell me where you buried the bones. So allegedly after the burning of Kruger, They took his bones and then they buried him in some junkyard Mm -hmm. in the back of a Plymouth Fury or in the back of Christine. (laughs) And uh, we're going to go find what that is. And we got to, because the nun told them you need to bury his bones in hollow earth. And then we can put the spirit at rest.
0: I want to stop you right there for a second. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So the nun telling Craig Wasson, you've got to bury him in hollowed ground. Yeah. Okay. I buy that. And as she's the, or he's, the person that she's chosen to confide in to rid the world of Freddy and his evil doings, I really struggled with the hollowed ground thing. Now, they do make an attempt for Craig Wasson to find a way to hollow the ground, but when we get to the burial of Freddy,
1: did it bug you a little bit that it's in the junkyard? A a little bit, yeah. To me, I don't know the definitions of hollow earth. To me, when people... Whether it's a vampire or a werewolf yeah. and they need to be killed on hollowed ground. Uh to me that's like a cemetery or like yes. a church ground, yes. something of some holy significance. So I don't know why it, it's not, hey get his bones and bring them back to this church that we're standing in right now. Right,
0: that's what I'm saying, right. Or back to, yes, yeah, perfect. I don't know what's holy about you have the junkyard dirt pile. (laughs) So think about this. So our answer to get to save the children from being massacred by Freddie is in the hands of a drunk, estranged dad from the survivor, sole survivor of the early initial nightmare attacks. Yes. Her pseudo-boyfriend and... A junkyard. Yeah. (laughs) Seems like we have pretty long odds at this point, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I would think, I would think so. And in, in the middle of all that is, you know, Kristen's in the quiet room and they're able to pull her all. Nancy goes to, to the rescue. I got to go. I'm going to go save the kids while you guys do your, your bone operation. Mm -hmm. Uh, They all are able to, to pull into Kristen's dream only to just be, then be spread out again. Uh, we get some. This is where this is my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned Philip's death is a standout for me, but this little quick kind of montage through all the scenes, we go back to Kristen's home. She's making the pap- paper mache again, mm-hmm. which, gosh, paper mache just reminds me of arts and craps in school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. That paste in the newspaper. You huh? just have like nothing to do that day. And so here's just like a chance to be creative and my least favorite day in all of schooling. Mm. <laughs> Uh she's doing that. Mom comes in and is like, now get into bed, you know, you haven't slept on (laughs) delay. And then we get we get this great little moment.
0: Mom, I had the most awful dream.
1: Lane, where do you keep the
0: bourbon? I'll be right down. (sighs) Chris, I've got a guest. Please, Mom, I just don't want to be alone.
1: I said, where's the fucking vermin? You should
0: listen to your mother. God damn
1: it, Kristen, you ruin everything. Every time I bring a man home, you spoil it. You know what your shrink says? You're just trying to get a little attention. Kruger, it's right here. Come pour one out with us here. (laughs) What kind of just like a fun moment, too, because he's like in a tux. It's like Tux Freddy, off with the mom's head um uh, we don't know where that relationship goes between mom and kristen outside of, outside of this but it's a strange to say the least and what a great line off screen elaine where do you keep the burp <laughs> elaine
0: yeah strange choice of name isn't it
1: exactly
0: um elaine! <laughs> exactly that's where i was going uh You know, Freddy taking on the role of boyfriend, I think, is an interesting way to get him there. I'm just not sure that this particular moment is how I want this character to be sort of facing Freddy. In this montage you're talking about, which we do get some of the powers, or lack thereof, in some regard, um, I think this is a bit of a weak step. The rest of it's pretty solid, but... um, unless and i do think the relationship between kristen and mom is strained Mm -hmm. mom seems kind of
1: like a well bitch yes or just kind of really put out by her acting i'm trying to date and you keep having these psychotic episodes yeah you're just you're unstable you tried to kill yourself and i just i'm just trying to bring some guy i met at an airport bar back to the house literally
0: (laughs) um yeah i'm not sure how i feel about this this
1: bit it's it's Small. I included it because I thought it was cool that Freddie was lying. Freddie was asking for some bourbon, and this is a show all about that. So <laughs> I love that.
0: Uh okay, so let me ask you a question. Go ahead. <laughs> excuse yeah. me.
1: Of the I think
0: six remaining or five remaining Dream Warriors. Okay. Do we agree that Kristen is the most powerful?
1: Well, I, I think she would have to be being that she has the almighty power to bring them back in.
0: Because I think Right, as much as we teased about her acrobatic acrobatic ability, it's kind of hard to say. Her power is the ability to unify them in a single setting. Yeah. Um, Should she maybe be the last one? So if all of the other oh, four, yeah, 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 if yeah. all of the other four go down and are asleep, and then in some state of crisis, mm-hmm. and maybe managing to fend off Freddy with whatever newly acquired Dream Warrior power they have. If something cues her, then I think, and it could even be Nancy. If something cues her to now go down and suck all of them from their positions into her spot with Mm -hmm. Freddy, then I think you get what this never really quite develops in the film, and Mm -hmm. that's the ensemble piece. You get three at the end, but the full ensemble piece to take down Kruger. This is this is nitpicky and I'm I'm just
1: I'm just thinking it out of my head structure wise. No, I know, and I'm, while you were saying that I was like, Well, what's Nancy's dream power experience? <laughs> That's a good point. She, yeah, yeah. She the, she just really comes in as just the, Wily veteran. The, yeah, there it goes. She's the steward guiding the ship or something. Yeah. Uh then we cut to uh Taryn. Always like that. That's always been an interesting name for me, Taryn. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, she comes in and her weakness or why she's here is she's a drug addict. she's a heroin junkie and when she's in the psychiatric hospital she's clean but if she gets back out there she's probably gonna use again. So I like how Freddy's gonna attack the weakness He's gonna attack them where they're where they're vulnerable. so they have a nice little fisty cuffs and I noticed this for the first time. I don't know if it was missed in post-production, but there's at least two or three lines. Where it's Robert England's real voice uh, that doesn't have the Freddie sound like effect added to it, so when he's saying it, it's almost like he said it was. They got the sound clip when he performed it, and I was like, "Is that intentional, or did they just botch that? Did they did they miss that?" But you you can tell, like it doesn't have that like, "Where's the bourbon?" (laughs) Like it's not that. It's like it's how he really sounds. Mm. What do you think of when he comes up with the blue syringes and he's like? Let's get high. And then into her little arm holes that are like, mouths. feed me Seymour, feed me, feed me heroin, feed me blue hair, blue Mm -hmm. (laughs) meth. And so that goes in kind of another memorable image of him. Just kind of like, let's do this. And, oh, what a rush. And she's, she's done in her dream. When she wakes up, she's going to be all overdosed and whatever state that is. Taryn
0: didn't get to really show off her, Beautiful and bad powers very much, did she?
1: I don't know why she picked such short switchblades, too. Like, I would want something a little bit longer to do battle with his knife glove. Yeah, I know, but the mouths are great, and uh, him feeding them that way. Yeah. yeah. That's a good death. As the blue, too, the yeah. blue liquid. It's almost like it's draino or something. Ooh, yeah, maybe it, it is. It probably could be. Yeah. The next one is um, our Wizard Master. God. Who's, okay. uh, he almost gets killed by the wheelchair of death. Mm-hmm. And so then he rises as the the wizard master. You like his cape with I this, know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he's like, "I, Auric, Defeater of Elves, cast you out." And He shoots his blue his green lasers at, at Kruger, and this does nothing to Freddy. I mean, Freddy like walks up to him and just grabs him by the throat and steps him like this. I don't believe in fairy tales. <laughs> Lame. We
0: we had to get him out of here. They picked such a lame power for him. They set it up, too. He's playing Dungeons and Dragons with mm-hmm. them when they're awake earlier in the film. Yeah, man, I don't, that just
1: sucks. That could have been cool, though, right? Yeah. Couldn't it have been? Yes. Especially with, you know, high fantasy in the 80s. The problem is, I think, that they gave that
0: power to the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. The, that power should be given to Taron. And I don't know how you get there, and I don't know about the junkie dungeon master, but I think that plays better with her. What his his What's this guy's name in the wheelchair? Do you remember? I'm going to look it up. This dude, what his power should be is the one they give to to Arquette. The ability to flip and run, and that should be his power. Because if you're in the wheelchair and your legs don't work... Then having the ability to be mobile again, which he does acknowledge. In my dreams, my legs are my legs are strong, and I'm a wizard. It should just stop at my legs are strong, and then he goes through his little gymnastics bit. His name's Will. <clears throat> okay, so Will. So yeah, look, it's it's a lame death for a lame power given to the <laughs> wrong guy. Uh, it, not in Freddie's not lame. <clears throat> I'm just saying. Um, no,
1: this he th- sucks. This ver- and it, I don't. Sucks. I don't think it should. I think it. it this, this should stand out because uh, like the 80s were the time for Fantastic Dragon Slayer yeah. Labyrinth Legend Willow Kroll yeah Crawl, tro- oh Kroll. Ever, Kroll have you ever seen Kroll yeah Kroll yeah yeah. Liam Neeson's in Kroll oh, yeah <laughs> uh, there's so many different like fantastical th- this should have even the popularity of Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. in that era this should have worked and it could not be stupider <laughs> right uh, then we cut to um, Kincaid and it's time to stop guessing and start missing yo Freddy, what are you hiding at, you bright face, pussy? Hey, we should find the others first. You think you hot shit with the little milk, kid, don't you? Well, let me see you come get a piece of me. Kruger, pussy!
0: Gengade.
1: <laughs> and he kind of doesn't, oh, he, a little bit. He gets to use his muscles uh, when they're rescuing Joey mm-hmm. from the bed of hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause Nancy's got him, but he's going to fall in. So he almost kind of pulls up both of them and is able to save the day. Kristen does some gymnastics to kind of kick him. They save Joey. Well, all that's happening. Saxon and Wasson have located the bones. They dig a hollowed earth, uh, crypt for, for the bones, but then the bones come to life in a Ray Harryhausen, Jason and the Argonauts fashion. And I'm not going to poo-poo on the effect. I think I think it's fine, and I think it's mm-hmm. suitable. I mean, we're, we're definitely we have a stop motion marionette puppet. Mm-hmm. We have a a Freddy TV. We have syringes on our hands. We yeah. have wizard masters, right. and we're not
0: going to say suddenly we've gone too far.
1: We're not going to say suddenly it's ridiculous because right. we were already there. So <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with it. And it, sure. they have a nice fun fisticuffs battle here in the in the mm-hmm. graveyard in, in the junkyard graveyard. Mm-hmm. Get down to the jung uh, the graveyard smash and, <laughs> and bury some bones. You're right. Uh but Pa Saxon is impaled by the car out dead. Mm-hmm. Um and so now the the fate of the day mm-hmm. is up to Mr. Craig Wasson. We're in <laughs> good shape. Uh he's able to he ends up in the crypt. Yeah. And the skeleton's gonna bury him. <laughs> Wakes up just in time, and meanwhile, while that's happening, we're having a final reunion confrontation with... I've always, always... I will laugh at one thing in this movie, Matt. When Dad Saxon floats down to Nancy from like his his soul, his heaven's
0: soul... I've gone to the other side. Oh,
1: my gosh. It's just I had to do everything in my power not to laugh at that, because it's too cheesy, because he comes in so serious and, like, smiling.
0: And by the way, it sucks over here. There's no Schlitzer... Any liquor. There's no
1: Goldschlager over here, Nance. What am I going to do? Yeah.
0: When you come, bring a bottle, huh?
1: And so they have an embrace, and they think they're kind of repairing this relationship. But, uh uh-oh, you should have learned way back when, this is Mr. Kruger stabs Nancy with the finger gloves, but Nancy's able to stab Kruger. And I don't know what this even matters in the Dreamland, because what matters is up top. Right. Uh, So he puts the bones in, and with the holy water, douches them. And it's kind of a cool effect when, like, the water like hitting the body kind of like starts making holes come out of him. Mm-hmm. What about the effect of when he like lifts his shirt up and he has all the children of Elm Street or like the souls trapped in his chest? Love that. The souls that give him energy to do his nefarious deed, his dream power. Yeah, great. Uh yeah, that's 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 a good piece of, of imagery there. So he's in the in the ground, goddess holy water, Krueger Krueger uh, Kruger bursts into oblivion, Nancy's dead. We have one more funeral with our our same little priest there. And this is where we get the revelation that this nun that's been following uh Wasson around and giving him all the clues. I got one last clue for you. It was me. I was Amanda. Amanda Kruger. <laughs> I was Amanda. Kr- it was you. So he takes the paper mache house back to his, his place. And uh, the lights turn on and, and that's the, that's the end of the film. And again, kind of where this goes, we're going to, Part four is an interesting, wild adventure directed by one Mr. Rennie Harlan. Mm. <laughs> Uh And kind of how they decide to just do away with the Dream Warrior concept, only to then kind of do it again with their characters they're left with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that's the end of Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors from 1987. So post-Slasher boom, that kind of petered out in 84, mm-hmm. when Silent Night, Deadly Night killed all Momentum we're way past the game but this was the most profitable entry for the entire franchise up to that point I think four million budget 45 million gross so good Freddie was like in <clears throat> peak popularity at that point I think the Dawkins song happened especially with MTV and be able to see him in a music video now yeah had to have been um had to have been interesting uh let me see uh let me see here do you have a favorite Dream Warrior? I want it to be Taryn.
0: They just miss with her. Um, I think of the characters that we're introduced to and why they are uh, screwed up. I think if you've been a drug addict on the street just trying to score some smack, that would give you a skill set that seems to be not aligned with bad and and beautiful or whatever she says. Mm-hmm. And then kind of looks like the punk rock version of Joan Jet with tiny little knives. You know? Uh, they they miss that character for me. And I think she might be the most capable to be last girl or final girl status. Okay. So she's my favorite, even though it's not done the right way.
1: How about you? If you tell me Kincaid, I'm leaving. <laughs> uh I don't know, I probably wanna pick Terran too. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it's executed very poorly, and Mm -hmm. I think that one has the most payoff. It just goes nowhere in this story. It's like they they ran out of time. Uh and then Kristen too. I mean the power the ability to pull people into your dreams is pretty cool. And the gymnastics themselves is proves themselves capable in the final battle. Yeah. I did want to read this to you. So these were the Craven's original concept for this was to actually I forgot this was to haunt the actors filming a new Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. Uh, This was would later become New Nightmare, Mm -hmm. which was Freddy invading the real world where real actors are playing their real selves. Uh, So that was kind of his first pitch for this movie. Mm -hmm. And then they came back around to it when they had exhausted all other options Mm -hmm. This is crazy. Uh, Both John Saxon and Robert England wrote their own scripts for a third Nightmare on Elm Street movie. That's strange. Uh, Let's see here. Huh. Uh, Saxon's script was called "How the Nightmare on Elm Street All Began." Is is that a holiday uh, stop motion animation film? Exactly. Uh, Which would have been a prequel story. Okay, so he's doing what I want to see. Would Freddy would ultimately turn out to be innocent? or at least set up for his murders. Um, And it was going to, led to have been, it was a cult doing the child murders at that time. Mm. So that's interesting. Uh, England's treatment was called Freddie's Funhouse, And the protagonist would have been Tina Gray's older sister. So Tina was Amanda Weiss in the first one, Uh, Tina, where she's getting thrown thrashed about the room Uh, who would have been in college by the time Tina was murdered and ends up coming back to Springwood to investigate how she died. In the script, Freddy claimed the 1428 Elm Street house, so the Nancy house, um, for his own dream world, setting up his own booby traps like Nancy did. Uh, Hmm. They decided to go with neither of these ideas because those sentences sound interesting, but the scripts probably suck. So they had to go with some more kind of tried and true professionals uh, here and... I was I'm curious that West didn't want to direct this particular entry. Instead, he decided to do Deadly Friend at at around this time, which is that girl Christy Swanson turns into the robot. I mean, Craven was making very questionable choices career wise at this at this time. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but uh just have a couple questions for you and then we'll seal this one. Uh we'll bury it in Hollowed Earth with uh Freddy's <laughs> bones. Okay. What was your favorite tasting note of the Dream Warriors? Uh it might be the opening,
0: actually. That run through that the house agree. where her feet get stuck in the tar. And um,
1: that it might be that. There's something about that shot. Like I mentioned it, but him at like the far end and mm-hmm. he's there. And then he's like running towards her out of focus. Like yeah. that's really cool. Agreed. Uh, Which yours? Oh. Did they just take it? No. Let me see. Because I, I have my next one for the next question. My favorite tasting note. I do like scenes that, you know, you know, expand the lore So the hollowed bones bit is preposterous. But now that we know Freddy's mom's name and this horrible story that happened, I think we're adding more fuel to the fire on the mythos of Freddy Krueger. And I like that with these horror villains that they're able to. And, you know, Michael and Jason, they're kind of stuck with what they can expand with those characters here. It's almost like they can add new things to Freddy's story because he is so otherworldly and has a personality. What's your oh my God! best kill of Dream Warriors? Oh, you're going to do best kill? Yeah.
0: Um, The marionette dive off the upper story of the hospital. That's pretty good. It's gross looking at the tendons in red and red. Does this movie, the blood seem really, really wet to Oh, you yeah. in it? Yeah. It's kind of a wet film, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so that's probably, I think, the best one. That's that pretty is, creative. That
1: is a great one. And that one's always stuck with me. For this one though, I'm actually gonna go. I'm gonna go with Taryn's death with the mouths mm-hmm. opening of "Feed me drugs, please," and then syringe. Freddie just finishes her off as her like head. It, it would almost be good if like she like exploded or something. Yeah. Who's the master distiller on the Dream Warriors? Hmm. <laughs> uh,
0: maybe Robert England. This is the best Freddy we've seen so far. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think he's all in on the character. So, yeah, I think I'm going to give
1: it to him. Good choice. I think I will give it to Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont. Maybe less Wes Craven because I think whatever his idea was kind of didn't make it here. Yeah. Uh, But those two guys kind of really proved themselves to take a third entry in a series that is already on the ropes. Part two put us in a place where you guys get one more. And if this one isn't a hit, we're probably going to abandon, New Line's going to abandon this franchise. So I think they were able to pepper in some interesting ideas, some concept. We like team elements. Uh, Were they able to make this one stand out compared to the other ones? And it was a huge, like I said, it was a big hit when it came out. So I'm going to give it to to those two guys. And that partnership would team up again for The Blob, I think the next year. Uh, And then we know all about Mr. Frank Darabont, made one of your favorite movies of all time. Yeah. one of the more perplexing TV shows of all time in The Walking Dead. So mm-hmm. what's, what's he done since then? Is The Mist his last feature-directed film?
0: Mm, i have to look up, look that up. Maybe
1: we'll look up Mr. Darabump, but it might, might be, be a, a couple episodes of The Walking Dead, and and that's it. Um, so that's all I'm going to give it to. But how are you going to rate and grade Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, Rock, Cut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, or Top Shelf?
0: Uh, it's Call. Yeah. Um yeah, you know, we talked a lot about how much I enjoyed this film and I still liked it. It's far from perfect. Yeah. But there's a, there's some good stuff in there. It's the best in the series so far. And it might be the best in the series total.
1: Altogether. But yeah. Uh it's it's cool. I think I'm gonna go single barrel minus wow. on this one, probably just because of how unique it is in standing next to its subsequent entries. Um I think they lean into the humor a little bit more. It's still like I said, I think Freddy's still kind of creepy in this one. Uh the deaths are unique. It's nice to nice to see some franchise stalwarts return for this. Mm-hmm. You're right, it's far from perfect. But in terms of this franchise in this series, I think this one stands out. And we get that sweet Dawkins song too. So yeah. uh yeah, single barrel minus really teetering into call territory. Um, But I think there's a lot to like about this one. I think there's a reason I always kind of really come back to this one and uh, always remember the sequences in this. And what happened to Larry Fishburne, man? (laughs) His twin came in and became... Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah. Well, he's not in the Matrix Resurrections. They, like, recast his character completely. Oh, really? He's not? Yeah. I did not. And I don't know why or what happened, but not included... Everyone else got to come back but him. Huh. <laughs> Talk about a wild movie we might have to discuss on this podcast, Jeez. <clears throat> yeah, that's going to... Yeah, we'll see where that, that goes. Well, that's a capper on Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors from 87, so pour up another one we're heading right back in uh for our review breakdown of Halloween 3 season of the witch it's almost time kids the clock is ticking be in front of your TV sets for the marathon
0: and remember the big giveaway at nine don't miss it and don't forget to wear your masks the clock is ticking it's almost time
1: Happy, That's Pretty be, addictive jingle. It's going to be stuck in your head all week, Rye audience. Thanks so. a lot. Tomorrow's <laughs> Halloween 2. We're bad. Do not wear a silver shamrock mask. Um, okay, Halloween 3 season <laughs> of The Witch also should be subtitled The One Without Michael Myers in It. Let's just kind of start by just talking about how we got here and how we just are setting the stage for a completely strange uh, film, a strange entry in this franchise. So as we probably mentioned in last year's episode talking about Halloween 2, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill did not want to come back and do that movie. They wanted to do The Fog and do Escape from New York and do other films. Now that they made it, but the producers, the franchisees, the people that milk uh, success are just like, no, we want Halloween 2. So, okay, we'll do it. And so they had all kind of a difficult time getting through that script but the deal that they made in place with Dino De Laurentiis was hey guys we're gonna kill Michael Myers Loomis is gonna eviscerate him with ether and oxygen in this hospital he's gonna be a mass of flames coming out Mm -hmm. that guy's dead Dead. uh when we come back and we'll do another Halloween film but we want to do something else set on on the night of Halloween and the idea was to kind of make it more anthology based and if it was successful do another one every couple of years or however long that could take it. And maybe some of those films could branch off into other sequels uh, for you. So they're like, Oh, okay. So again, you know, you know, for the time, you know, Carpenter was like extraordinarily busy. I mean, so 81, he's doing escape from New York. He's writing and pseudo directing Halloween to composing the music for both of those as well. In eighty two, or and this might be eighty three. I'll have to, or it might be eighty two. Hang on, I don't like telling you wrong years here. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, this was, yeah, this was eighty two. He's making the thing this same year, Uh, so huge, heavy production year. Yeah, and he's doing the score for this one as well. So he actually, they they handed it off to the guy's name is. Hang on, I wrote this here. His name is Nigel Neal. He's known for uh, doing a lot of like Hammer stuff uh the Quatermass experiment and he's kind of like a pseudo like mad scientist kind of science fiction guy but he took a stab at this Halloween script and kind of a lot of what we saw is in the film it was masks you know kind of taking over it was very celtic in its origins but he didn't want to make it like a horror film so he bailed he had he was like he was a real cantankerous old bastard <laughs> so get that guy out of here they bring in Car- carpenters uh buddy who had dumped done- production design on Halloween uh, and the fog Tommy Lee Wallace, here's your chance my my, my buddy uh, you take a stab at the screenplay and then uh, why don't you go ahead and direct this one So that's who's in the chair here. So Universal probably very hesitantly this whole time is just like, gosh I wish it was Myers but we'll 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 go with it mm-hmm. and maybe you can deliver us another executed example that's spooky and in the vein of the Halloween spirit. What they get is, I guess, sort of a mixed bag of all of that. Uh, We start out the film in the exact same way. We started out Halloween 1 and 2, which is with kind of a creation of a pumpkin of sorts. This one's done digitally. Uh, I've always really liked the... (laughs) So it's just like kind of forming. And we're like, what is even happening here? And when they pull back and it's this screen that... The children are going to see on Halloween night. That's going to make their heads explode with bugs. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. Uh, so okay. So we're, we're okay. We're trying to create some familiarity with this franchise. We pick up with. Um, Mr. Gamebridge, this, we don't even know his name at this point. It's just this guy running for his life in the streets and an element that I think works fairly well in the film, which is the ticking time element. Mm -hmm. Think what is this Thursday, the 23rd or something. So we know we got about seven days to kind of see this story through to the end but he's being chased by guys and talk about the Matrix. He's being chased by guys in suits. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we know yet that these guys are robots yet, robots yet. <laughs> uh, but th- they do definitely have a shape like Michael Myers' quality of very emotionless. Yeah. They're kind of stalking him, and they show up. So he ends up at some gas station. Get me out of here. Get me help. Get me to a uh, hospital. But let's talk about our lead actor, Matt. I, have we ever had a lead character like Mr. uh Dr. Dan Chellis, uh Mr. Tom Atkins? This guy is divorced from his wife, right? Separated? Divorced. Okay. So, well, can you guess why? <laughs>
0: Uh, proclivity for liquor and other young women. There
1: you go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes in bringing in some janky just Halloween masks for his kids. We already got masks. Silver Shamrock. And then those kids just said, two more days till Halloween. Yeah, Pretty annoying. Uh, so he's just like, oh, my gosh, this family's like, let me get back. I got an emergency. <laughs> I got to get to the bar. I got to get to the bar. <laughs> I think he's already drunk when he shows up to the hospital. Yeah. And yeah. He's like, this loony guy came in, and he was doing a bunch of crazy stuff. I, I swear I'd never seen anything like it. So mm-hmm. they put him to bed. Chalice has to go sleep one off because he's hungover probably. Yeah. And in comes one of these android guys in, in the hospital that breaks his skull through his n- nasal cavity. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeesh. What do you – okay, man, I've that's, uh, that's laid a on the table. Mm-hmm. What do you think of all of this? Our setup, where we're going – The stalkering aspect of the robots, like, I know it's not Michael Myers, but what do you think of all of this?
0: I love the opening. So if this is the first act and the breaking of the bridge is where we're kind of pulling the plug on the first act, good start. Uh, You might be disappointed that after 30 minutes, there's no Michael Myers. That gets to the marketing and why they put Halloween on this, because Season of the Witch might not have had the buy-in.
1: At what point in the movie are are the audiences getting up and going, (laughs) this isn't Halloween. This ain't Halloween. I want my money back.
0: I like it. I'm intrigued. There's, as we talked about on the phone, there's an invasion of the body snatchers-like element to it.
1: Yeah, this is a pod movie. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good so far. I think I am too. And one thing that I'm really digging so far is the music by John Carpenter and Alan Holworth all right It's heavy. It sounds like the thing. It sounds like Escape from New York. So I'm really digging on that uh, on that here as yeah. well. I'm con- I'm shocked that he even agreed to kind of do that. If he was just kind of really trying to keep his distance with this mm-hmm. with this franchise, but he was still willing to play. I wonder if they had a little thing. Uh, ultimatum with him i was like you can do the thing but you need to do this halloween three for us as well and they kind of had him in a like a vice (laughs) we need to have your name somewhere in the credits yeah yeah and then you do that and we'll let you play ball with the thing we won't interfere we'll just market it like shit exactly (laughs) uh i do want to play uh this so this is kind of kind of an eerie creepy thing everyone should check out the teaser trailer for for halloween three season of the witch So you see one of the masks and then this tarantula comes out of the mouth. Mm. And then the eyes come out of the eye sockets. Halloween 3, season of the witch, the night no one comes home. Kind of creepy. hmm <laughs> Halloween one, the night he came home. Halloween two, more of the night he came home. Halloween three, the night no one comes home. Yikes. Kind of a good tagline for for this thing. If they, they could only have just shown people, hey, Michael Myers ain't in this thing. This isn't really a slasher. This is more of like a sci-fi horror mm-hmm. kind of thing. Maybe we could have roped in some more people. Um, but this, so we got we got dead Mr. Gambridge there. His daughter Ellie comes to identify the body, and Chalice is just like. Hey, that's <laughs> the fine piece of ass. I'm going to roll on that. That's something else. Yep. I think she's 23, and I think mm-hmm. Chalice is like... 50. Maybe, yeah, 45, 46. Um, but they have a little rendezvous here at the bar, and it really kind of sets you know, the stage for where we're going to go. Hi. Hello. My
0: name's Ellie Grimbridge.
1: I know. Dan Chalice.
0: I know. One of the nurses told me I could find you here. I saw you at the funeral. Thank you.
1: I'm sorry about your father. Did my father say anything to you the night he died? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He said, tell Ellie I love her.
0: Oh, a bad
1: liar. Thank you, anyway.
0: Wait a second. I saw something that night. I don't know. Your father came into the hospital, and he, I thought he was crazy out of his mind. He's hanging onto a
1: Halloween mask. He wouldn't let it go. And what he said was, they're going to kill us all. And in a little while, he was dead. And I don't know what the hell is going on. So where this is going to kind of lead them is to kind of trace Dad's last known whereabouts, which is the town of Santa Mira, California. Santa Mira is the town in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original. So, again, we're trying to draw parallels to pod people, invasion movies. You know, you're taking the town's name from it. Uh, Nancy Loomis uh, from the original Halloween, Annie Brackett, shows up in this as his ex-wife. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And Jamie Lee (laughs) Curtis shows up as the voice uh, that announces the town curfew in... Santa Miro, Oh, really? When hmm. they're like, it's time to close up shop, everybody. Get inside. Huh. So that's her. So even they were willing to kind of come back for oh, just a little moderate little scene here and there. But once we kind of start investigating this town, you know, it's kind of sleepy. It reminds me a lot of Children of the Corn yeah, where yep. everyone's just kind of watching from the windows. their security cameras. uh Obviously, you know a manufacturing plant, but what we kind of you know start to discover is yes, Ellie's dad was here. He stayed at this hotel, and he was he's a toy store owner, right, or a department store? Yes, because he went to go pick up his stock of Halloween mask uh, masks for the season. Stumbled across this huge Stonehenge conspiracy, and that's why they chased him and and offed him the Android Force or, or whatever. Yeah, so. When they're here, you know, this is all being run by Connell Connell Cochran, Daniel Hurley. Last time we talked about him was Robocop as the old man, kind of playing the same character to be completely honest with you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, they're going to pose as a married couple here. First, he brought a six pack of Schlitz when he's on the phone with his (laughs) wife saying, hey, I can't take the kids uh, trick-or-treating on Halloween. And she's like, oh, come on. Where are you running off to? And he hangs up the phone, grabs his six pack, and gets in the car. Yep. and now they're going to pose as a married couple. We have that kind of almost cringy line where she's like, where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? And he's like, that's a very stupid question, Mrs. Gimbridge. And it's just like, dear God, these people barely know each other. and They're just, they're just ready to like go, go at it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but before he does, he's got to go to the liquor store. So he goes, and I'm not kidding everyone. This the, the, right. this is the sequence of events. He goes to the liquor store, gets a bottle of Jack or bourbon, mm-hmm. And then he runs into one of the townies, uh, uh, Straker, Starker, and he's just kind of this drunk, loony bum that's just kind of uh, really railing, uh, railing on on him here. Uh, I believe I have the clip.
0: You yeah, I know anything about this Cochran? Do I know anything? He made Santa Maria what it is today. Dried up a little pile of nothing. Let me tell you something, mister. He brought in every damn one of them factory people from the outside. You think he'd hire me, local boy? No way. Turn me down flat. If you haven't got a dollar you can spare, eh? Hmm. Thank you. All I can tell you, Mister, is watch out. Seen the TV cameras yet? He's watching you, friend. I guarantee you that. Hey, Cochran. Fuck you! Shh, it's, it's all right. It's all right. It don't matter to me. He's probably listening. If he is,
1: I got one thing to say. It's the last Halloween for that lousy factory of his. So Cochrane's really set up shop here as his mass distribution plant uh, to do all his nefarious deeds. What you kind of. I have a couple questions for you, but let me get through this scene here the android police force come and run into starker and they just pull his head off (laughs) yeah they just pull it clean off so pretty 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 gruesome sequence there before we get into um the hotel room shenanigans and deaths and people staying there is this supposed to be some sort of like Are you getting anything on the theme barometer of, are we making a movie about consumerism and consumer products being bad, or... What do you think? Mm, it's
0: it's there. I didn't... Yeah, no, I I didn't know. I think they're maybe playing with it, and that guy's saying he wouldn't hire me, and so there's an employment issue and labor, and it's there. I just... I don't think so.
1: Yeah, I think there might be something there, but it's very, very ham fisted. Yeah. But what do you kind of think of, you know, Cochrane just in, before we kind of see him and his kind of whole snake oil salesman pitches of his masks and being everything, mm-hmm. kind of being nefarious? Is this an interesting enough villain for us to tackle that's not Michael Myers? Honestly, might be more interesting because he could have a personality that Myers is just a guy in a mask. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, okay. So here we are at the hotel room, and first Ellie gets out of the shower, wraps herself in hotel bed sheets. Yeah. Was oh my god. Gross. Who man. would do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, also staying at the hotel is Marge. She's picking up a mask shipments. That's actually Tom Atkins' real wife. Uh, and then Buddy, the Buddy, the Buddy Clan. It's him, his wife, and his son also picking up mask shipments. Uh, So what we kind of find out here is while they're having sex, which is just bananas, everyone wanted Tom Atkins in these. I think he picks up Jamie Lee Curtis in the fog, and then they go rolling the sack like immediately after that too. Crazy. Uh, She's toying with one of the tags on the back of the silver shamrock, you know, um, masks, and this kind of laser thing shoots out and like screws up her face and then all like the bugs and stuff stuff start shooting out so we know that like this is like kind of the source of the evil the masks are like the gateway here's like the ability to do that. I know this isn't a knife picture but is that enough here like yeah in terms of like I <laughs> guess the violence that this film's gonna kind of get into killer masks what do you think?
0: yeah sure. Um at this point we know that Cochrane's labor force and and uh, foot soldiers are not human. So I guess the question then be would be what's he what's the ultimate goal?
1: <laughs> does that ever get answered? No, it doesn't, <laughs>
0: but it's intriguing like I don't know that we've gone off the rails entirely yet. Again, if you are waiting for Michael Myers, you're probably upset because he's not there, but I don't think we've had some terrible misstep, that is just a deal breaker. I don't. I don't buy the love scenes with Tom Atkins, but that's just. Are you buying him as a character? Sure. Why not? Okay. Hard drinking. Why not?
1: A little film noirie. Yeah. Like. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's that. So uh, I don't. Yeah. Do you see some huge egregious misstep at this point? Uh, no. I actually kind of like the Android Police Force. Yeah. That's just what I'm going to call them right now. I kind of like how they're just trying to keep things under wraps until Halloween gets out. Yeah. I'll let you know when it kind of gets a little cuckoo bananas for me. Mm-hmm. But they go get a tour of the mask factory. They get to meet the man himself. Uh, they kind of have to play off this charade that they're picking up masks. But he's probably on them already because he sends the force after them. Yeah. Uh, but the Buddy Clan, they're, they're drinking the Kool-Aid. They're like, ah, oh, what a great guy. I mean, great showmanship, and he's really selling it to us. So then he invites them later for like a super special demonstration that's going to kill off all of them. Mm-hmm. But here's one of my favorite parts of the film. So once they leave, and final processing, there's this mystery about final processing and what that means. So we kind of like bypass that because we're going to get to that later. Mm-hmm. When we go back to the hotel and we're like something fishy's going on there, we need to. Figure-. I saw my dad's car back at the facility. I know he was there. We were kind of closing in on the mystery, and then Ellie disappears, and then so Tom Atkins is on the run. And this is reminds me of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I really remember. When Kevin McCarthy and I can't remember the the lady uh in that one, but when they're on the run from the mob in the original invasion and they're to like going through the neighborhoods and then up the mountain and trying to kind of stay away and keep it that's what this reminds me of is Tom Atkins yeah. uh yep. chalice like yep. being chased by the android police forces. He's trying to put something together. Mm-hmm. All the while this is happening, one of his concubines yeah uh is doing some uh research for him on the wreckage of the guy that blew himself up in the hospital parking lot and i don't even know if that necessarily doesn't go anywhere because she kind of bites the bull before she's able to kind of like tell him them... that
0: it's not an organic or substance yeah i agree that's that that's a waste yeah but she you, you, you hit the nail on the head though yeah after he asked her to do the work, she gives him a little kiss on the on the lip. So he's got lots of girlfriends, this Mr. Chalice. He's
1: a Lothario, too. <laughs> wow, yep. Two back-to-back lotharios. Well, I mean, look at him. Come on. I know. Yeah. So he he makes his way back to the plant because, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of where everything's going down. And obviously, they take Ellie back here. And so he has a nice kind of fisty cuffs. Like, And this is where we know that these guys aren't real. Right. uh, As he kind of punches, one of them is actually that guy's Dick Warlock. He played Michael Myers in the last film, Mm. uh, Halloween two punches him and then brings up a bunch of like orange, gross orange juice goo. (laughs) It probably was like orange juice concentrate or Mm -hmm. something that you're having to spit up. But you know, now we get revealed kind of the whole plan. Matt, how do you feel about Stonehenge and the, the Stonehenge? A monolith that they somehow stole well, from England, yeah. uh, brought it back on a boat, and then got it all the way to Northern California. <laughs> like, how did that happen? I think uh, Daniel O'Hurley says, we got it over here. It wasn't easy. You, yeah, tell us how you did it. We're curious. Okay, now we're getting a little weird. What? How does that work? Pod it- people
0: stealing a stone from Stonehenge for its mystical powers to imbue their masks with this insect infection that destroys people um, it's not that's that's all over the place it's not working Stonehenge in itself could be a story um, and that you know that gets in that wicker man space that I think that we like that yeah. sort of pagan mystic ritual
1: not this. We're talking about robots and pod people and but kind of so what they're doing is they're chipping away little granules of Stonehenge and putting them in the microchips of these masks. Hey. And that makes bugs shoot out of you. Yeah, weird. Very strange. So where where is it here? Okay, so we'll get we get to the, that that sequence with the buddy family and um uh, I think um quite interesting. We just decided to kill a kid in this movie. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm making
0: I'm making blood! i
1: so now the commercial's like in like full freak out mode. I wonder if they had to have like some sort of seizure warning before you saw this film because mm-hmm. there's a lot of flashing white pumpkin. Probably not at Halloween 3. Who gives a shit? Uh, buddy just, little Buddy just kills over and then all this stuff starts oozing out of him. Crickets, roaches, mm-hmm. centipedes, uh, a diamondback rattlesnake. Strange. <laughs> I got to tell you this because I know this idea is just bananas and just like we're just kind of rolling with it at this point but uh, like bugs kind of bug like bug me like i I had to kill a black widow spider this week which was extraordinarily traumatic (laughs) for myself uh and i i had to essentially just kind of like squirt it with like fabric cleaner (laughs) until it just like i i got it like wet enough where it wouldn't move anymore and then i went in for the crush. Jeez. Because he was, like, hiding, and he kind of, like, kept, like, dick, dipping in and out. I was like, this I don't want this thing to, jump, like, sneak up on me. Right. It was pretty quick, too. Anyway, bugs, they're, they're nasty. So this kind of part is pretty gross. You know what I mean? This mm-hmm. rem- it's, this is like uh, Willie Scott having to put her hand in the the gross thing in the bug in Temple of Doom. Yeah. But all three of them die out as Chalice is having to watch from a CCTV. So we know the power of these Stonehenge granules can, you know, just absolutely eviscerated murder people. Yeah. Um, so they go sequester him, lock him up, and then we get a little bit more of what I would kind of want to know more in these Halloween se- them lean in a little bit more into those pagan Celtic uh, wicker man aspects. Halloween. The festival of Samhain. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red with the blood of
0: animals and children. Sacrifices. A part of our world. Our craft. Witchcraft. To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. It's not so different now. It's time again. In the end, we don't decide these things, you know. The planets do. They're in alignment. And it's time again. The world's going to change from that, Doctor. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. And... Happy Halloween.
1: So a cool thing happens at the end there where the movie Halloween, this mm-hmm. thing, exists in this world as entertainment. Yeah. So it's being played on the horathon. So a piece of non-diegetic or it'd be diegetic sound because it's in the movie, but then it becomes the movie soundtrack. Yeah. Kinda cool. That is cool. That's how they kind of work work. Strolled into that is really good. What do you think of Cochrane's speech on Celtic? First of all, the festival of Samhain. Uh, that's uh, that was mentioned in the last movie. Remember when Michael went and wrote Samhain on the school board and blood in the yeah. school? Yeah. But Donald oh, yeah. Pleasance's pronunciation of it was it's Samhain, the festival of the dead. Hmm. Donald, it's pronounced Samhain. I'm not going to do it again for you, John. <laughs> Give me some burp. Donald Pleasance was a heavy drinker, and he drank could see copious amounts behind the scenes on the Halloween films. Wow, yeah. So okay, so it's pronounced Sawin. But what do you kind of think of that breakdown? I mean, we're definitely leaning more into those Celtic elements, but then it, the planets and stuff like well, Cochran's speech effective. But where does this register for you? It's effective,
0: but the the goals don't match the effectiveness of the speech. If the plan is to create this large cult then you want members and he wants members that he can take the soul of them and turn them into robots so with what we saw and the way the kid struggles with the mask and the bugs that's not exactly lining up i'm not sure why you would want to kill a potential base of or uh, future cult members um i i would say there's there's pieces individually that work even this Sawin thing works, but all put together, I'm not sure it's 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 lining up.
1: If I had to decide what Cochran's goal is, is to kill kids, I guess right. Yeah, I guess kill the youth of North America and worldwide. I think this maybe only here. I don't know. If they didn't in the montage. We don't get like Tokyo and like Brazil. Right. You know what I mean. Yeah. And then there's like a time zone question later uh, that we'll we'll kind of address. But I think it's simply to kill children. Uh, and it looks like they have but one night to do this. To do it, I guess. Yes. This is essentially like a solar or lunar eclipse, but even more rare because we need the Stonehenge piece. The planets have to be aligned, and it has to take place on October thirty first. Mm-hmm. So, what date in October thirty first the planets lining is when we're going to do our child killing plan yeah. with my army of robots? Yeah, uh, it's kind of a mess. It's kind of a mess. I'm not gonna, not gonna, not gonna lie there, but. Chalice is able to somehow get out of his straitjacket thing. And how did he throw that mask up on that security camera? Good shot, huh? <laughs> yep. <laughs> he gets out, finds Ellie, and then he should know something's up with her immediately because yeah. she doesn't speak a word the rest of the movie. Right. So he just has her in tow. And his plan is to go fiddle with the computer equipment when they're not watching him, get up on the scaffolding and then throw the chips down that then killed 16 of these workers. The bigger issue,
0: though, is the ticking clock element in that Halloween and the 9 o'clock curfew or broadcast oh, of the commercial... The big giveaway. Yeah, the big giveaway. <laughs> you have to fight the forces that would oppose you from shutting down the broadcast, but that's never really crosses his mind except until the very end. So I'm... yeah. I'm not sure about this.
1: What uh I I do like that montage of Dayton, Ohio, Omaha, mm-hmm. Nebraska, Phoenix, Phoenix uh mm-hmm. and it's essentially it's all Southern California because that's where they filmed yeah. <laughs> the movie. Um uh, but I like that, you know, the kids are all wearing the mm-hmm. Silver Shamrock masks. Is there a plan to like cuz the way television broadcasting essentially works is all the different time zones, get it? Right. An hour ahead, so is he Often the East Coast is he trying to do it all at once, or is because the Pacific and everyone else would have time to be like, "Hey, get rid of those masks!" They just murdered a bunch of people Mm -hmm. on the East Coast, right? I don't know if that detail ever, ever really matters. Let's just say it all is happening now, okay, and at one time, okay. So yeah, Chalice goes and just fiddles. He kills all these people. Cochran like. Rice smiley applauds him from the thing of like job well done Mr. Chalice yep. and then he turns into like a paper mache man uh, Stonehenge and then just kind of like eviscerates
0: yeah. uh, well mm. the, you see
1: Stonehenge is just silly because the first thing I think of is Spinal Tap and I'm just waiting for Nigel Tufnell to sing and oh how they dance the little children of Stonehenge and then you got a two foot Stonehenge comes down from the ceiling that's all very silly, but here we, like, I like this kind of final fight between Ellie and, and Chalice when she's, like, full-on robot, and he's got to find a way to dispose of her, Um, the pod person. So, like, what happened to, like, her other self? Like, did they build a robot? They put a skin? Like, we don't really get those answers, but. Stepford girlfriend. Oh, Stepford wives. Oh, that's, yeah, that's another good one. Yeah. Yeah, Stafford. Yeah, Stacy. Stacy Nelkin, which I've never seen her in any other film. I think she was married to Barry Bostwick, actually. Mm. Uh, so, um, but yeah. So he, Chalice disposes of her with a quick few tire iron uh, hits to the head, and then we get to our final sequence here, which is him just on foot. He ends up at this same gas station. And apparently these kids cannot miss the big giveaway because they were en route to trick-or-treating and they just show up at this gas station. Yeah, this guy has candy for them and then they park themselves in front of the TV. So this is a big deal for people, this big giveaway. Yeah. they Everyone wants to know what they're what's being given away to people. And in a very invasion of the body snatchers, he is desperately pleading with the FCC or somebody to like... Get it off ABC. Get it off NBC. It's still on CBS. He doesn't say that. His channel's one, two, and three, but that's what I would imagine they would be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Get it off. Get it off. It's still on the last channel. And then, like, stop it. Stop it. And then it can. And then he, like, deadpans into the camera. He's just like, stop it. Very much like Kevin McCarthy, like, screaming deadpan in the camera, like, they're coming after you. Mm-hmm. You're next. Mm-hmm. Uh, letting him know, like, it's too late. Like, do do something about this. What do you think of this ending? This is kind of a grim ending for what it means behind the scenes when we cut to black.
0: One of the stations didn't pull a commercial, so everyone that was watching on that station, it's too late. The problem, though, is who did he call? Just who did he call? He had to
1: have called someone of authority to remove channels.
0: So, yeah. um, Yeah, but the bad guy kind of wins, at least on a third of the viewers, if you figure they're going to one third, one third, one third.
1: Um, The third station doesn't pull the commercial. And uh, I own the Halloween three novelization and it kind of like carries on a little bit after this, this and uh, yeah, it goes and says, and all the children died on Halloween night. Like, like, so every, everyone dies essentially kind of grim. But when we talked on the phone, we kind of said this was close to being kind of good. Yeah. And there's a few things that slip up like. A, what would you remove from it or kind of change to kind of make this a a little bit better? Like, what are those things that really kind of mess the film up for you? Stonehenge has got to go. Okay. You don't
0: need it. Yeah. Just use the masks to destroy this population. That's all you need. There's another worldly presence to this group anyway. They don't even have to be necessarily some pagan cult,
1: but the Stonehenge things is just a bridge. That's got to go. Yeah. And I, I really kind of dig on the robots, and I'm almost kind of wondering if you want maybe some sort of, like, alien presence here that might mm-hmm. be a little more believable, dare I say, than Stonehenge. Yeah. But the masks work for me. I think they're all effective. If you could pick any one of those three, which one are you picking? The witch. Yeah, that one's creepy. It is. I think I might pick the the pumpkin, actually. That was creepy, too. Uh, But... Kind of interesting that every kid that particular Halloween is okay with looking like one of three. One of three, and everyone's just the same. So I guess there is kind of an individuality consumer aspect to that, that Silver Shamrock has such a run on Halloween costumes in the year of 82. Um, I'm with you. Yeah, Stonehenge has to go. I think the masks work, the robots work but we need just some better motivation here and just some better, just kind of, and I love the ending, you know, I love a grim ending. So mm-hmm. the fact that just the heroes don't win mm-hmm. all this kind of effort to solve and expose, uh, goes with no, no effort. Uh, the, yeah, everyone switched to CBS. They could have missed the big giveaway. Everyone died, the kids at least. Mm-hmm. So what happens after that going forward? um, I have a couple little just things here, and then I have a few questions for you. Two million dollar budget, fourteen million dollar gross. So, okay, Warner Brother or Universal is probably like, yeah, that was good, but not as much return on investment as we probably wanted with right. something like Halloween. So, yeah. can we work on wheeling that Michael Myers guy back in? And that that point, Carpenter's just like, bye bye, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go do. He did some good, <laughs> Starman, Christine, and Big Trouble in Little China. So he was still on it. Yeah. So. Although other movies that just underperformed because they were just not marketed. People weren't ready for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Dean Cundy, the cinematographer of Halloween, The Thing, Escape from New York and Halloween Two, also shot this film. So there is kind of they kind of all look the same. They have that kind of same vibe, Mm -hmm. steady cam, the same use of shadows and darkness. So there is um, some nice uniformity uh, right there. Uh, and the masks were made by Don Post. It's just, uh, he's a perennial, just kind of like a mask maker. And I think he did some a little mask work on the Halloween 2 mask at one point. But Matt, what's your favorite tasting note of Halloween 3 Season of the Witch?
0: Oh, um, I think maybe the test run that they do to the family inside Silver, Sham- Silver Shamrock's factory mm-hmm. when they lock him in and do the test run. That's pretty good. Yeah. You want to see what's going to happen, and so it's nice to we see what happens. We need
1: to know what's going to happen. Yeah, because what happened to Marge, I guess, was an anomaly to us, but we need to see someone wearing the mask and then a test run of the commercial to kind of see how this is all going to play out. Mm-hmm. It's kind of kind of gruesome. Yeah, <laughs> the mother just faints, and I guess is just eaten by the bug. It also reminded me of the creep show segment with the guy with all the cockroaches oh, in his yeah. apartment. Yeah, there's something about bugs just overpowering you that's frightening to me. Yeah. Uh mine is I'm going to pick the chalice uh on the run from the android robots just kind of it reminds me of invasion of the body snatchers the sutherland one and uh the kevin mccarthy one so it's kind of a good little 5 minute chase sequence that leads us to the silver shamrock factory good for this one what's the oh my god what's your best kill from halloween
0: 3 season of the witch when that woman's fiddling around with the silver shamrock Microchip and it blows her face up. <laughs>
1: Literally. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Literally, and what comes out is like a like a vinegaroon or yeah. like some mm. Child of the Earth or yeah. something. And I'm just like, God, get get yes. that out of here! Gross. Yeah, I'm gonna pick a Striker Stalker Striker when he gets his head pulled off because <laughs> like these robots are just like, mm, yeah. and just guts everywhere. Done. Yeah. This should be interesting. Who's the master distiller on Halloween 3, Season of the Witch? <laughs>
0: Ted, uh, what's his name? The main... Um, oh, Tom Atkins? Tom Atkins, probably.
1: I'm going to give it to him. He's... Good choice. He's shown up in a lot of things I've watched recently. Not only... He's in Creep Show, He's the dad that's throwing away the magazine at the beginning of that movie. Mm. He's uh, in uh, Lethal Weapon. He plays mm-hmm. uh, Hudsuc- uh, Pa mm-hmm. Hudsucker, who wants to know what why his daughter killed herself. Yeah. Uh, He was in Maniac Cop, uh, Night of the Creeps. Like, the guy had a good career. And I recently rewatched, don't recommend everybody, the remake of My Bloody Valentine in 3D. And he plays, like, the sheriff in that movie. And that was uh, one of, like, his probably last, like, big movies. So the guy kind of had a nice career in genre films. So, yeah. I got to give it to my man Carpenter. And I'm going to give you the hot take of all hot takes right now. Wow. Okay. Not Halloween, not Escape from New York, not The Fog, not New Halloween. This is my all-time favorite John Carpenter soundtrack. Wow. Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Okay. So much so that when I did my little horror film in college, uh, my ambitious attempt was to compose my own music like Carpenter. And so while I was editing, I just put temp uh, music in place of that for now. And it was this score. Uh and I liked it so much that there was places where I didn't take it out because I was like, it's too good with that music. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's how effective I, th- I thought this this kind of music. And it was good because it, it can't be the Halloween dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. He dun, 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 dun. had to come up with some new themes, but very atmospheric uh, work there. It's, it's my favorite Carpenter score, and I don't think a lot of people are going to say that. So good. Uh, got to give it to him. That's good. I going to rate and grade Halloween three season of the witch rocket to top shelf? Where are you lining up on this one? Well, okay. <laughs> the first act is okay. The rest is not. Once they get to the factory yeah, and it's, like, it's, all, it's, all of this yeah, stuff. Yeah. Mm. Call minus for me. Okay. I think this Halloween three is a, a bit unfairly criticized at times. I think it's developed a nice cult following over the years but obviously it was destroyed when it came out by critics and, and audience goers. It was bomb. Uh, but I think it's found its audience over time. And if you go in not expecting the more of the same of the Halloween franchise and are just kind of down for a little wackadoo sci-fi yeah. pod story, I yeah. think it can check those boxes. But there's quite a few missteps in there. But mm-hmm. I think it's extremely atmospheric like in terms of – The Halloween, this film has a great poster of three kids trick-or-treating and they're kind of like distorted. And then there's like a witch thing up at the top and they're in like an orange, like red sky. Like it's a great image that it does not echo in this movie. So um, I think some good atmosphere moments at times, but yeah, call minus. This is is a weird, I would be curious to know how this would have continued with different anthology stories. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've recently revisited the Halloween anthology, Trick or Treat. Have you ever done Trick or Treat with uh, Dylan Baker and Anna Paquin? Mm-mm. That one's interesting. Uh, Michael Doherty, the guy that directed Krampus, made Trick or Treat. And it's like four little vignette stories all tied together on Halloween night. So mm. uh, I like the intention of trying to do different Halloween things. But execution-wise, it just it wasn't all clicking. We needed Myers to come back, and we'll see what that looks like. So yeah. That's a capper on a Halloween three season of the witch, a wrap up of our three's company slasher film edition. (laughs) I got to tell you. So next year's indication would be, we're going to tackle the fours. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be interesting because we've had varying quality kind of through this whole third segment. Mm -hmm. Number four has my favorite Friday film Mm -hmm. Friday for the dream uh, nightmare for the dream masters, the highest grossing film in that franchise until Freddy versus Jason Mm -hmm. And Halloween Four: Return of Michael Myers is kind of a return to form for me for that franchise. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite sequels. So we might be dealing with better quality four films in. Like, who, who would kind of would have thought?
0: That'd be crazy, but it sure sounds like it. Yeah. So yeah.
1: three had its hits and misses. Four might be firing on kind of all, all cylinder cylinders for the franchise at that point. About so that. wow, this has been a lot of fun to dive right in in our double feature that you can listen to on Halloween tomorrow, as of this recording. So next week, we're going to kind of get back to some 2021 catch-up, and we got some big films that have come out as of late um, and some big films coming out in the, in the weeks to come. But I think we're going to head off to the planet Arrakis, and we're going to take a deep uh, dive into Dune. Dune. Better bring your sunscreen. Uh, you better bring your breathing apparatus, because the Dune spice kind of... Gets you, gets you a little high and makes you hallucinate a little bit. So Blue eyes. And it'll make your eyes blue. But I'm excited to see this. I know we, we both have seen it. Um, I went and uh, checked it out in IMAX, which was kind of a, a, f- a fun treat as well. So it'll be fun to kind of get into the, into the nuts and bolts and mythology of what this franchise could be. In a world of superheroes and Star Wars, could we get a new franchise that could... Be a staple of science fiction. Maybe. Maybe. We'll find out. But until then, cheers. I got to get going. I'm going to go uh, do some laps uh, around the house, trying to figure out what my dream power is. I hope it isn't Wizard Master, and I'm going to not try and go for acrobatics. Wow. I, I, I uh, Yeah. Okay. I don't even know how to follow that one
0: up. Um, I'll stand by and watch because I'm curious to see what what mythical ability you're able to derive
1: here. It's to play the saxophone, maybe maybe that'll be my dream power. And I can shoot lasers out of it or something. I love it. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, is property of New Line Cinema, Heron Communications, and Smart Egg Pictures. And Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, is property of the Dino DeLaRentis Corporation, Deborah Hill Productions, and Universal Pictures. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. The third commercial, it's still on, please. Take off the third channel, the third channel, it's still running. Stop it, please, for God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time.
0: You've got to, please, stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Stop Stop
1: it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it.